guys. You're listening to Mama Knows Podcast with your host, Nina Cavajola, aka Balconina. Join in weekly as she walks alongside you to navigate topics around motherhood, mental health, self-love, and relationships. The good, bad, and funny. We're talking about anxiety today, and a lot of us have anxiety, whether it's just like a little bit or a lot of bit, and whether you're in therapy or not, I think this is such an important topic to bring light to. I specifically wanted to talk about anxiety in the modern woman and the modern mother. I'm talking to Gianna today. She is a therapist in New York City, and she's got an Instagram called Mindful Therapy NYC and has so many amazing resources. I love everything about what she does, and I am so excited to talk to her about anxiety. Today, we're specifically talking about negative and anxious thoughts that go spiraling, whether it's about your relationship, your friendships, your parenting, or anything in life. And also, she's going to give us some somatic techniques on how to ease anxiety. So let's jump into this episode. Hi, Gianna. Thank you so much for coming on to talk to me today. I feel like this is such an important topic, especially I have a lot of women in their probably mid 30s to mid 50s who are experiencing like increased anxiety or at least being more aware of it. I think the topic of anxiety is so prevalent right now in social media and we're all consuming. So I think it's such a good topic to talk about and to bring awareness to, especially in womenhood, in our age, in our age group right now, as well as I'm a mom and a lot of my listeners are moms. So I feel like we're specially affected by the anxiety. Mm -hmm. Um, So before we dive in, I would love to hear a little bit about who you are and the work that you do. Sure. Yes. So I am a therapist. I'm based in New York. So I live in Manhattan and New York City. And currently I work at a group private practice called NYC Cognitive Therapy. So we're a team of therapists that specializes in CBT, cognitive behavioral therapy. And I work primarily with clients in their 20s, 30s. So I would say like young to mid adults who struggle with anxiety. So everything from generalized anxiety to social anxiety, to panic disorder, to specific phobias, et cetera, et cetera. And I work both with clients individually, so an individual therapy, but I also lead a number of therapy groups at the practice as well. And in addition to my work as a therapist, I have a background as a yoga and meditation teacher, and I'm also certified in Reiki and EFT tapping. I mentioned all of that just to uh, explain that my approach with clients and with the people that I work with is very holistic. So often anxiety can be rooted in nervous system dysregulation. So I think approaching anxiety uh, you know, from all angles means that we have to heal it in the mind, but also in the body too. So I love doing different, uh, more body-based techniques with clients as well. I love that. And I don't know, I don't know how much you know about me, but I actually just graduated. I don't know if that's what it's called from therapy. Mm-hmm. Uh, I spent two and a half years in therapy for, I originally went to therapy for postpartum mood disorder, mm-hmm. um, depression, a little bit of depression, a little bit of anxiety, but I have 
come to find out through therapy, I have a lot of like childhood traumas that have put me in the position of having this like intense anxiety in adulthood. But mm-hmm. it's unique because my anxiety presents in such different ways that I didn't even know I was like that anxious until I learned about it in in therapy. And so my therapist, and I have no idea, she like, knowing me, I'm like a, I need to know everything. Like I need to know all the details. What's the evidence? Like, and my therapist would tell me that's your anxiety. You don't need to know. And I'm like, but I don't know. So I don't know what techniques technically she used, but after (laughs) looking at your social media, which I love, by the way, you are so, you're so aesthetically pleasing and just everything is so easy to consume. I feel like she maybe used similar, similar uh, techniques as you, you talk about CBT a lot, which I'm going to, I'm going to have you explain to us what that is. But basically she had me do a lot of like breath work, a lot of feeling my body, like, like all kinds of different things that I had to feel. And it was super awkward at first. I was like, what is this shit? Why do I have to feel my feet on the ground? Like it was so, I even told her, I'm like, what is this even doing for me? Uh (laughs) Can we just like bitch about people or (laughs) no? But so I, I went through two and a half years of it. And, um, I feel like it's important to note that it does feel super awkward at first mm-hmm. and super like, why are we doing this? Mm-hmm. Um, so before we do- dive into kind of like, I love data. So we're going to mm-hmm. talk about, about data a little bit, but what is CBT exactly? Uh-huh. Yeah. So compared to more traditional talk therapy, which is more like insight oriented, I'll call it. CBT is a lot more structured and skills and tools based, meaning that I'm equipping clients with different skills and tools and techniques that they can really put into practice in their day to day. So that's what I personally love about it. I think it's super empowering in the sense that I'm teaching clients skills and tools that they can implement outside of session to really see see a change in their day-to-day lives. And CBT, just to break it down, stands for cognitive behavioral therapy. So the cognitive element of CBT is all about investigating the way in which we think. And um, when it comes to anxiety, challenging some of those anxious thoughts that we have when we catastrophize or we fixate on those what if questions or we jump to the worst case scenario, right? That's what our minds love to do when we're anxious. So the cognitive work is all about that restructuring the way in which we think. And then the behavioral element of cognitive behavioral therapy has a lot to do with different behavioral experiments or exposure exercises. So exposures are basically experiments that we set up so that clients can start to approach the situations that they would typically avoid. So I'll give an example. So I work with a lot of clients that have social anxiety, for example. So we can talk about healing social anxiety all day long, but unless they actually show up to that party or raise their hand in class or have these interactions that their anxiety convinces them to avoid, they won't heal. So it really is about implementing behavior change. And we go about that like super strategically in CBT. So we're testing, right? Some of these negative predictions that people have and seeing if they really come true or if things maybe turn out differently than they're imagining. I love that. So it's like a, a wholesome approach 
not just like telling you what to do, which yeah. how many people actually like do what they're told to do? <laughs> Let's be honest. Um, so in my space here, I talk a lot about women, motherhood, relationships, friendships, things that are really prevalent in my life right now and a lot of my listeners. And it feels like, and I don't know if it's just me and maybe you could talk on this a little bit. It feels Mm -hmm. like in today's world, so many women have anxiety. Mm -hmm. Why do you think that is? Or maybe you have some data that actually supports that, uh, you know, thought of mine. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I think that's a very true observation. And I can share what I see in my work. I think when it comes to women in particular, like women nowadays feel such an intense pressure to like, quote unquote, do it all, right? Yeah. So you have to be the the best mother, the best wife, the best sister, the best daughter. But now there's all of this additional pressure to also show up in the work world and be a quote unquote girl boss and be crushing it in that area too. So what I see often, especially I think because I work in New York, so I have a lot of like high achieving clients that are go-getters, which is amazing. But there's an intense pressure, I think, that women feel nowadays to have to do it all, which can lead to anxiety and burnout and a feeling like, you know, you're never quote unquote good good enough, right? Uh, no one, no one can be, right? When I when, when you have to manage all of these different roles. No one can execute all of these different roles perfectly. It's impossible. Yeah. And I think that I'm in the social media space and you are a little bit too, right? With your work. And I don't know if you can relate to this personally outside of your therapist mind. Mm -hmm. It can get so toxic when you're comparing yourself and consuming content. Like one of my top things with my therapist that I talk about is when I start, so we do these zones, red, yellow, and green. And I have an episode on that for anyone that wants to listen, but my therapist and I put these zones, we put these zones together. And one of my traits when I'm in my yellow is I'm consuming more content and I'm scrolling more, meaning like that's when things are becoming more toxic for me. And I feel like I'm comparing myself. I'm overthinking things. I'm thinking like, I need to do what she's doing. I need to do more of this. And I think in today's world, it's almost impossible to avoid that. Everything is online. So I don't know if you personally can relate to that because yeah, even though you are a therapist and you're posting these amazing things for your followers, do you sometimes also feel like I need to keep up? I need to keep up my social media. Oh yeah, absolutely. So I I post therapy content uh, on my page, but I am certainly susceptible to those thoughts of comparison as well. I think there are a lot of therapists now online and it can be a very competitive space, right? Unfortunately. And I think like anyone, you know, I can fall into those comparison traps. It's really hard not to when you're constantly being fed other people's content and when people are primarily posting their highlight reels or the things that are going really well for them. So when I am online, 
I, I just try to use discernment. I think like discernment is the key word for me personally. So if I notice myself falling into a comparison trap, I'll just try to remind myself that what I'm seeing is not the full picture, right? Like I don't know what that person is like actually going through unless they're like a a dear person in my life. And I really know the ins and outs of what they're struggling with. Otherwise, I I don't know what's really happening on the other end of the screen for that person that's posting that picture perfect content. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's so much easier said than done too, right? Because Mm -hmm. you think like, well, everything, their life just looks perfect. They're so happy all the time. And that's part of the social media. Like you, your job, like speaking about influencers, I'm an influencer. One of our jobs is to like promote this, like you can do this, like you should have this life, you know? So that's, it's, it's also toxic when you unravel it. Um, So kind of backing up to talk about what anxiety even looks like. So what does typical anxiety look like? like? Something that's like you see in most of the population that's not necessarily something that you think needs any work done around it versus what does moderate to severe anxiety look like? The, the, the type of anxiety that you're like, you need to get help, you need more resources. Uh-huh. Yeah, I think that's an excellent question. So I like this question because First of all, it's normalizing the fact that we all experience anxiety from time to time. It's like a normal human emotion, right? It, it, it Anxiety serves to keep us safe. So I would say some level of anxiety is to be expected, especially depending on maybe what you have going on in your life at the time. If you happen to be in a period of stress or a period of transition, like some anxiety is to be expected. And I I will say as well, like a lot of people are experiencing anxiety right now because of current events and what's going on in the world. And that's totally valid too. It's hard not to be anxious seeing the news and seeing what's happening. So I just wanted to mention that too. But if you feel like your anxiety is impacting your day-to-day functioning, like making it really hard to get up out of bed each day, and do what it is that you need to do, whether it's school or work or taking care of your home or your family, if it's really impacting you to that degree, right? Like that, that's not something to take lightly, right? That that means that you can definitely benefit from getting some support. And I personally don't think you have to wait until that point, right? Until it gets so bad that it impairs your day-to-day. I think if you are someone who is sitting with the question of, can I benefit from therapy? Then that means you can, right? If, if that question is within you, then you can certainly benefit from it. Mm-hmm. And when you say when it impacts your day-to-day, I feel like that can be such a broad statement because I have anxiety and I am so in tune with my body because of the work I've done. So for me, impact could mean it doesn't mean I can't necessarily get things I'll get the basics done but my mind is like literally nagging at me all day that it feels like it almost becomes physical at times like chest pain Mm -hmm. for me is one of my signs 
So when you say impact, like you say you can't get out of bed, but what if you can get out of bed, but it's still like impacting everything you do that day because your thoughts are just so scattered. I just want you to kind of describe like impact. What is, because when I, when you say impact, if I was just someone listening, who's never been to therapy, I would think, oh yeah, that doesn't happen to me. I can get out of bed. I can feed my kids. Right. Yeah. Well, I think what, what you're saying, the way you're describing your own lived experience, like that, that definitely is impacting your functioning, right? If you're feeling like there are so many thoughts going on for you during the day or like distressing sensations, intense, like bodily sensations that you're feeling, all of that is definite impact, right? It's like Mm -hmm. impacting your functioning in that way. You're not able to be fully present uh, and and feel grounded and okay in your body. Mm -hmm. And I feel like, when do you get to a point? Because me, I, you know, I'm not in therapy anymore, but it's like, at what point do you like, do you ever get to a point where you don't ever have anxiety or is it something that you have to like pivot and learn and kind of go back to your resources? And mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I think that's a really excellent question. I think it really, I, I can't give blanket answer for that. I think it really depends on the person um, and the type, the type of anxiety that they're experiencing as well as the severity of it and whether they have uh, like other issues they might be dealing with alongside of it, whether it's depression or maybe another mental health related concern that might make it more challenging to heal from. But I, I am a firm believer in the fact that you, you can heal in the sense that you can learn different tools and skills to implement so that you're no longer experiencing intense sensations in your body, you're no longer plagued by incessant or obsessive thoughts, and you're able to ultimately feel much more capable of coping with situations that you used to be much more anxious about. I think getting to that point is really possible with with some some work and some some support. Mm, I love that. Um, Okay, this is this is something that I've seen on your page, I think you talk about it as a unhelpful thinking pattern or cognitive distortion. Uh And before I saw that on your page, the way I would describe it is for my listeners who might not know what those things mean. Uh So you get this negative and anxious thought and then you spiral. For example, I have a friend who didn't invite me to something that all a few girlfriends went to. And my immediate thought is I did something wrong. And then my thoughts spiral and it, and I create a hundred scenarios around this and I don't know how to handle it. And then I feel like if I confront it or, or like approach the situation, I sound crazy because to me, I feel crazy that I'm thinking these thoughts about I'm awful. I'm, I did something or they're gossiping about me. Like instantly it's like negative thoughts and I can't get out of that pattern. And I was talking on my Instagram stories about this. And a lot of people are saying like, this happens to me and I would not approach it. I would literally just fester till I die. It would literally just sit in my brain until the day I die. And Obviously, that can affect relationships and friendships. And this can be applied in this 
situation where I'm talking about friendships, but this can be applied to motherhood. Like I yelled at my kid and I'm the worst mom ever. And I'm now my kid is going to grow up to be a terrible husband. Like these thoughts literally happen. Like they just go, go, go. And then it can happen in marriage and relationships too. So what are these thoughts? Why are they happening? And how do we work through them and like nip them in the butt? Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. Great question. So like you mentioned, you mentioned the term cognitive distortion, and that's what we call these sort of thought patterns in CBT. So basically a cognitive distortion, really simply put, is just a thought that is not 100% true, not based in the facts of the situation. So in CBT, we have all of these different cognitive distortions or unhelpful thinking patterns that we help people understand and we help people start to identify in their own thinking. So I'll, I'll throw out a few that are super common and that you probably will be able to understand just based on the name. So some common ones are catastrophizing, black and white thinking, personalizing, mind reading, jumping to conclusions, et cetera, et cetera, right? And so what I help clients do is understand when they have thoughts that might fit into one of these buckets so that they can identify it and start to say, oh, you know, there I go, mind reading again, just to start to call some attention to it. And then I help clients learn how to challenge those thoughts by looking for evidence that supports the thought versus evidence that contradicts the thought or suggests that there might actually be something else going on here. So if we take the example that you shared, let's the, the first example where you said you had friends and, and you find out that they did something without inviting you. And if your first initial thought is, I did something wrong and they are gossiping about me or something like that. That first thought, I did something wrong is self-blame, right? It's like putting it on you. And then the, they're talking about me is like maybe jumping to conclusions, but also like doing some mind reading there. You're thinking that you know what it is your friends are thinking about you. So we get into some trouble when we engage with these cognitive distortions. So it really helps just being able to call them out in the moment when we notice them, but then start to challenge it, right? So it's like, okay, what's the evidence that I have that in this moment, my friends are talking about me behind my back, right? I don't know. Maybe there's not too much to support that. We, we don't know. We'd have to really do a deep dive and investigate all the facts. And then we could say, okay, what's the evidence that that's not happening. Or maybe like there's something else going on here that I've neglected to um, to realize. So you really take like a, a view of the situation through a more like objective lens. And then you can start to see like there could have been so many other reasons that led to you not getting invited that are not related to those like two initial thoughts that you had. Does that make sense? It does. But as someone with anxiety, I feel like I can literally create evidence as to why. Like, oh, this one time I forgot to invite her to go on a walk with us in the neighborhood and now she's mad at me. So she didn't invite, you know, like I feel like what about that? Like, what if you can 
you can literally create evidence for yourself because you're looking for evidence to prove that they're mad at you. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's, that's what our brains do, right? So if we already have a belief, our brains look for evidence that supports that. So it is really, it is really challenging to think objectively about the situation. So something really important is that when we're looking for evidence, we're sticking to facts, not interpretation. So that's really, really key. So that is something that I have to remind clients of time and time again, right? It's like recognizing the difference between a fact versus an interpretation and being able to really like discern the difference between the two. Mm -hmm. So then I have this thought and I've spent two days now thinking about it and I don't know how to let it go. Like how, how do we break the pattern and just stop feeling sad and like when I think about something like that happening with you not being invited, the mm -hmm. root of it is probably like the feeling of sadness and being left out, right? Like, mm -hmm. and then obviously you create these scenarios, but how do you break that pattern of that thought? So you said you have to like recognize it and then separate facts from whatever, but then is that what's going to help you like stop feeling sad or, or is, are you saying like that's truly what you have to do and then it'll be better or is it something that can go on for a while? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, that depends on the outcome of what happens when you investigate the thought, right? So if the thought is that your friend is upset with you and intentionally didn't invite you and you investigate the thought and come to the conclusion that that's maybe not true based on what we know, then you try to come up with a, a, a new thought that's a little bit more balanced and takes all of the evidence that you came up with into account so that you can start to shift the way that you're thinking about the situation. So that's one way how that could turn out. But that's not necessarily always what happens, right? Like mm -hmm. if you investigate the thought and you come to the conclusion that it is true, uh, based on the evidence that you gathered and and you come to realize that maybe this not being invited does speak to some kind of rift that exists in your friendship, you know, then then you might want to approach it differently. And that could warrant, right? Like having a conversation with the friend, especially if the thought is about something interpersonal, right? Mm -hmm. uh, it's not totally up to you to have to work through that on your own, hopefully, if this is a friend and this person really does care about you, they'd be open to talking with you about that so that you don't have to ruminate and ruminate over and over it just all, all by yourself and work through that without the other party. If it's interpersonal, there's multiple parties at play. So I would hope that it's a friend that would be open to like discussing that or repairing whatever rupture it might exist mm -hmm. man that's that's some heavy stuff though <laughs> right to have to like work through your thoughts work through your feelings and then actually address it like that's a mature shit <laughs> right oh yeah yeah <laughs> Uh -huh. I did see because you do have such a holistic approach. This is my last question for you. And I think it's a really important one. I would love to hear you talk about, you call it somatic techniques, but for people who have no idea what that means, 
What are some physical things I can do with my body to ease my anxiety? So me personally, like when I'm overwhelmed and anxious, I get agitated and then I like act out in like loud yelling type things with my kids. But there are things that my therapist has taught me that I can do. I would love for you to talk about a few somatic techniques that we can mm-hmm. use when we're feeling like really anxious in the moment and to help our bodies calm down. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So I, like I, I said before, have a background as a yoga and meditation teacher and, and I'm also certified in EFT tapping too. So I love using all of these different sort of techniques with the clients that I work with. And uh, there's so many different things we can do in the moment. I'll sort of rattle off a a few of of my favorites. I think things like grounding. uh, Grounding is an excellent like somatic body-based technique where we literally get our feet on the earth. Uh, It's very calming grounding for the nervous system. It signals to our brains and our bodies that we're safe. Ultimately, that is what we're trying to do when we're doing different somatic techniques to calm and soothe the nervous system, the brain. There are other things like shaking, like literally shaking the body. If you think about an animal out in nature and like you know, they, they shake, they shake their bodies. It's a way to release like stagnant or stuck energy or emotion. So that's a really good somatic technique. If you feel like you've got pent up emotions or energy that you're trying to work through, there are also things like progressive muscle relaxation exercises where we uh, practice tensing and then releasing individual muscle groups throughout the body. So when you release after creating intentional tension, you feel like a great sort of relief and you create some more space in the body. There's also things like body scans that we can do where you're practicing, just noticing all the sensations within the body that are associated with different emotions. But I'll say my two favorites are yoga and EFT tapping. So yoga, right, most of us are familiar with, but uh, yoga is a great way to connect the mind and the body, right, Um, and ultimately calm the nervous system. There are some especially really great like grounding postures that can help regulate even something as simple as you know, sitting in child's pose for a few minutes or putting your legs up the wall can really help calm the system down. And then lastly, EFT tapping. So EFT tapping is something I got certified in this year. So it's it's still something I am integrating into my practice. It's still a new technique for me to be utilizing with clients, but essentially EFT is um, an energy healing technique. So it's, it's, it's really cool. If you've heard of Reiki, Reiki is another energy healing technique. Reiki works on the chakra system. EFT tapping works on the meridian system. So it's actually rooted in Chinese medicine. So the way that tapping works is you literally tap on various points in your body. They're like acupressure points. So some people call EFT tapping acupuncture without needles. So you're tapping on these different acupressure points. There's a standard sequence of points. And then as you're doing that, you're also talking out loud about 
whatever you might be tapping on. So it's great for anxiety, for panic. You can tap on all these different issues, which is really cool. But the tapping on the points calms the nervous system. So uh, it actually aids in creating like new neural pathways. So assisting your brain in, uh, in thinking differently. So that's, uh, yeah, there's a ton of, of EFT tapping resources online. If, if that piques your interest and you want to look into it some more, uh, there's a lot of studies and, and research being done on it too, to support its efficacy, which is really, really exciting. So I, I'm, all of the tools and techniques I do with clients are always rooted in evidence and, and science and, and research. So they, they really work. Mm -hmm. I love that. I do use some of those techniques with my kids. It's funny because it's so much easier to like tell your kids to do it. And then when it's your turn to to actually do it, it's a lot harder. My kids and I, we do this forehead tapping um, and I have no idea what it means. I don't know where I saw it, but we, I tell my kids like when you're feeling really scared or or nervous or mad, like tap your fingers on your forehead and take deep breaths. I don't even know if that that's a thing, but we do that. And we do this thing called roller coaster breaths. Have you heard of that? Yeah. With the fingers. Yeah. Mm -hmm. We do that. And I have them stomp their feet and stuff, but it's so much easier to teach your kids. But I just, I guess what my point is here is it's okay to do these things as a grown adult too. Like when you're feeling a lot of tension in your body, regardless the feeling, like it's so, it really does help. It just really helps bring you back. One thing my therapist has, has me do, and I don't know if this is a somatic technique, maybe you can tell me what it is, but she has me feel, she has me try to figure out where the tension is in my body when I'm feeling a feeling. So Mm -hmm. if I'm, most of my feelings are usually like, anxiety or anger mm-hmm. or frustration, whatever. So I usually carry my tension. And this is so weird. Like she would ask me like, where do you feel tense right now when you are thinking about this? And usually for me, it's in my thighs and my butt cheeks, which is so weird. Like I was like, that's weird. <laughs> but it's always like those muscles are always super tight. And then I, I literally just like close my eyes and relax those muscles. Mm-hmm. And I don't know what technique is that? Is that like a somatic thing where you try to identify where the tension is in your body? Absolutely. Yeah, that's definitely a somatic technique. Anything that uses the body, right? And helps us heal that way. It's a somatic technique. And I know you said it's like silly that that's where it is in your thighs and butt, but makes sense, right? Those are like major muscle groups. So you're just like gripping there. So no need to like judge yourself for that. We all hold tension in different places. So it's Totally it is not. weird to have to tell your therapist, I feel it in my butt cheeks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm sure she's heard she's heard uh more than that. <laughs> yeah. Uh well, Gianna, thank you so much for this conversation. I think this is such a good basic important conversation about anxiety. We hear so much about anxiety. And if you guys um, haven't checked out Gianna's Instagram yet. It There is like hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of free resources on so many things we talked about, but also like more. I could literally read your stuff all day. Um, so why don't you tell us where we can find you on socials? Yes. My uh, Instagram name is Mindful Therapy NYC. And I appreciate uh, what you said. That really means means a lot. Yeah. There's a lot of really excellent resources on 
anxiety and nervous system regulation. And uh, I'll mention also as well how you can find me if you're interested in therapy services if you happen to live in New York. So the uh, practice that I work at is called NYC Cognitive Therapy. So you can find us uh, there on, on our website. Thank you so much. Of course. Thank you. As always, if you enjoyed this episode, make sure you leave a review, follow along on social media and subscribe to the podcast. I love having you here. Thank you for listening and let's chat next week.